You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. The cream of the crop! Hello and welcome to Triviality, the game where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. How you doing, Jeff? How you doing, Neil? Doing Not all bad. right. I got a hot cup of coffee here. Matt's in uh, LA. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing great. Yeah, enjoying great the football here. today. Join well, the Bears are they're they're winning again. So oh, hey, spoilers. Yes, yeah, weeks and weeks <laughs> and months ago. Three month old spoilers. Yeah, yeah. but we're excited today. We got uh, we got a full house on Skype. Uh, let's start with uh, Doug Barrent. He's from Fayetteville, Arkansas, and he's a cruiserweight champion. He's going to be playing with Matt today. How you doing, Doug? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Great. Thank you for uh, giving us a little bit of your time and coming on the show. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, I'm Doug. Uh, I am actually a college professor down here in, in Fayetteville at the home of the worst football team in the country right now. We just fired our coach this morning. Again, three uh, uh, three months spoiler here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I grew up on the East Coast, educated in the Midwest, and have lived down in beautiful Arkansas for a while now. All right. You've been everywhere, man. I, I I have been every well not everywhere. <laughs> well, we're really we're really appreciating your cinematography on your uh, Skype feed here. You got a nice lens flare going across the screen. Your nice <laughs> nice some nice backlighting. So uh, we guess you and Matt are going to be the J.J. Abrams lens flares today. Is that right? <laughs> it works works for me. All right, and you guys need a great name because you're going to be going up against some great questions from Gabby Ubia. Uh, she's originally from Virginia, but now she's in uh, Madrid. Is that right? That's it. Yeah, I'm in Madrid, Spain. I've been here for about three years. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I grew up on the East Coast. I went to Ohio State. I got my undergrad, my master's there. And then I immediately moved to Europe. I haven't been back for about four years yet. So just uh, enjoying this European life. You just enjoy those late meals in Spain, right? Pretty much. This is like not even dinner time yet. So nine o'clock there, p.m. Will you uh, give us three a more tour? hours? They'll be eating dinner. Three more hours. Uh, will you be giving yeah, us a tour if we we come out there? A, a tour? Absolutely. Sweet. All right. Because I've always <laughs> wanted to go to Spain. Me in Spain. I'll show you the best places to get to get a beer, to get some tapas. All right. You're on. I love it. All right. So uh, it sounds like she'll be hosting. Neil and Jeff are going to be a team. So since they're the lens flares, what do you guys want to be? Uh, well, Jeff and I talked about it. Uh, it is a cinematography heavy. Well, beginning of the episode. We're not going to say it's the full episode, but uh, <laughs> one of my favorite shots uh, made uh, made use of very well in the film noir movement, uh, the Dutch angle. Uh, we're going to be the Dutch angle. And, right. and a bunch in Thor. Yeah, a lot <laughs> the first Thor movie really abused it. But uh, let's toss it over to the rules, guys, so we can explain the Dutch angle. The rules of the game are simple. 20 questions split into two rounds worth 10 points apiece. At halftime, there'll be a special swing round designed by this week's host. After regulation, players will enter the final round with the points that they've accumulated and will have a chance to wager 0 to 30 points on five categorized questions. At the end of the game, someone will be named the cream of the crop. The cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. I can't believe he did a Werner Herzog impression. I didn't know the, the history of the Dutch angle until just now. I know. It's it's fascinating. <laughs> it's like shockingly similar to our rules. It, it, you're right. It is. I think 
I think it's the language barrier, but All I right. do wonder if anyone ever rewinds 15 seconds to be like, wait, what was that? No. <laughs> the one time I did put in the uh, ragtime music, that was different, but that's true. <laughs> I've right. been told that our intro is kind of annoying because it's 28 seconds, so it's real hard to skip on either 15 <laughs> second, 10 second, or 30 second intervals. No, we we got to listen to the rules. <laughs> I was going to say, and we can't confirm or deny that that was planned to be that way. And sometimes you'll get a Gilbert rules in there too. You don't want to miss that. Mm, very true. All right. Well, let's toss it over to Gabby and she can take it away for question one. All right. This first round, because I'm a teacher out here, I've decided to make first round uh, different subjects from middle school. Ooh. So uh, round Ooh, that's one. That's a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> right. Round one is going to be science. So which planet is closest to Earth for the majority of our year? I'm, I'm locked in. Okay. I'll trust Jeff. You guys can talk. Feeling on this one, Matt? I, I don't. I imagine it's Venus or Mars. I don't know if yeah. the other one do a little yeah. bit of traveling. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think Venus is closer to us than Mars. That would be my yeah my guess. I mean, certainly the star is brighter. Right. Uh, um, I like it. We can lock in with Venus. All right. Well, uh Jeff and I were looking at each other and I gave him sort of a hand signal. My, my skin was flushed and uh, he said, are you in retrograde? And I said, I'm not sure. Am I? <laughs> and then Jeff said, uh, so I think very shockingly uh, that Mercury is the closest planet to earth the majority of the time. And it's actually the closest planet to every other single planet all of the time. So we said Mercury. That is correct. It is Mercury. Wow. Uh, Oddly enough, it is the closest planet to every planet the majority of the time. How how is that? So it's it's yeah. almost always on the correct side of the sun. Mm. So like m- half the year Venus is on the other side, but like for four mm. or five months of the year, Mercury is closer to us because mm. it's nearer us because it rotates so fast. Okay. So yeah, it's oh, the closest oh, planet yeah. okay. to every other planet the majority of the time. It makes sense. I mean, if you think about uh, Greek mythology, you had Hermes, who the, was it the Roman, was Mercury, and he was always at Zeus's side, so he's just always there, right? The proof for that, by the way, uh, was last year. <laughs> somebody, oh. somebody actually was able to figure that out. I'm not going to read the paper. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, go with question two. All right. Number two in world history. Uh, the phrase in Latin, alia lacta est, is a famous quote by Julius Caesar as he crossed the Rubicon River in North Italy, gambling his army at the start of a long civil war. What is the common translation of this phrase, alia lacta est, into English? I have no idea. I just, it sounds like all for one and one for all, but I mean, I know that's musketeers, so. Is that Dumas as well? Yeah, Alexander okay. Dumas, yeah. Okay. Dumbass. Um, <laughs> man, if he was around today and, and he was at book signings, you know that he'd just have a terrible time. He's like, I'm just waiting for someone to come up and he just wanted to hit him, you know, punch him in the face. Isn't this YOLO in Latin? <laughs> <laughs> it probably, that's a good answer, actually. Uh, I, I have nothing. So all I have is, I don't know Latin. I just have all for one, one for all. I'm trying to think of something famous and simple that would, would stand the test of time. I got nothing better if you want to go with that. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, so you're saying so Latin, not a strong suit of either of us. Uh, <laughs> don't cry over spilled milk. <laughs> Land of milk and honey. Probably no. not. All for one sounds good. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, we don't um, have anything else. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to get it in like anything less than a couple hours here. So um, right. You want to just go all for one? Yep, we got it. Locked in. Uh, it's so funny. We had a very similar train of thought. Our logic basically was if it was something Caesar had said, it's something that probably stood the test of time. It was a very um, you know, recognizable phrase, and all we could come up with was pizza, all for pizza. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, uh, right before he led them into to battle. Pizza, pizza. Um, we just went all for one and one for all. The answer is the die has been cast. Or the die has been rolled. Oh, Jeff, you should have known that. You roll dice all the time. <laughs> Those are 20 sided. So, I was going to say, yeah. yeah. I'm usually, you'll There's find me help. every Friday night in the alley going, luck be a lady tonight. <laughs> it's true. Shoot yeah, crap. We, we thought of the gambling clue, but we could not, uh, didn't get, get there with it. <laughs> couldn't do anything with it, no. All right, for number three. 
it's uh, I teach at an American school, um, but this kids still have to take Spanish history. So this question is in Spanish history. Uh, the current Spanish king, Felipe the Sixth, is descended from what royal house? So so far Here we've we con- we've concluded that um, he's from his father's Juan Carlos, I believe, and then his mother was you said of like Greece or Denmark or somewhere around there, right? Something like that. Yes. But I don't yeah, think. Yeah, so I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah, I, that, that's as much as we got, which I think is a good start. But I don't know exactly how to answer so, that. Yeah, I'm just trying. Uh, again, I know there there were long time ago there were marriages right between whatever the British house was at the time. Mm-hmm. There, uh, uh, it could also be descended from the Bourbon, the how the Bourbon house. Uh, okay. In France, or the, the whiskey if there house. Was Dutch influence, maybe. Well, if he's uh, maybe, maybe maybe the the House of Orange from the Dutch. Um, well, bourbon. Uh, I, bourbon sounded good. It, it does sound good, doesn't it? <laughs> right now, yeah. <laughs> after the, we can we can lock in with that. Yeah, we thought maybe it was uh, somewhere outside of Spain. We know Victoria tried to marry off a bunch of her grandkids, so we guessed the current English house. We said Windsor. The correct answer is Borbones or the Bourbons. Oh, <laughs> wow! All right. Now, does that yeah. does that monarchy have to be in Kentucky or Tennessee to be considered Bourbon? Sixty <laughs> percent in Kentucky. Okay. Actually. Yeah, my uh, my 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 daughter currently, uh, Gabby, is currently in uh, in Paris, and so mm-hmm. I was a French major. And she was a French major, and uh, so I have a little bit of bourbon history, but I can never keep how those countries <laughs> got together. Yeah. Oh, very nice. I used to live in Paris, so uh, all this French-Spanish history is kind of exactly in my wheelhouse. I love oh, Paris. Cool. I, I only spent a day there, and it was a really crazy day because I was at a, um, it was like really late, and I was walking around, and this uh, like really old car picked me up. And we went to. You know, <laughs> I can <laughs> never tell if this is actually a thing or not. Well, no, no, it was true. It was true. We went to a bar, and, and like Ernest Gertrude Hemingway was there, Stein and Gertrude. Stein. Stein. You, got in that, you got in that old Peugeot. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> wow, it's so pretty at night. Yeah. Wow. The rain in Paris. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Let's get Neil oh, away God. from this gag. Please. All right. Number four is in language arts. How many kinds of punctuation are there in English? I'll give you a plus or minus one. Okay, so we started off by saying all the ones that we know. <laughs> and uh, trying not to just look at my keyboard. I'm avoiding it because that would be cheating. Uh, I think we're up to around 12. And we have plus or minus one. Do you want to just say 13 in case there's like 14 of them? Yeah, there's probably one we forgot. Let's, let's try the 13. Okay, the lucky 13 locked in. We might be a little low now that you say mm-hmm. that, but uh, we th- at least named six, and we weren't sure if quotation marks were considered punctuation or not. And apostrophes. And apostrophes. So right. we, we didn't include those, but we went with seven to hopefully get eight or six. And the answers I'll accept are 13, 14, and 15. All right. There are 14 types of punctuation marks used in English grammar. Mm-hmm. Nice work. Nice work there. there. Go. Good poll. Good poll. They are the period, question mark, exclamation point, comma, semicolon, colon, dash, hyphen, parentheses, bracket, braces, apostrophe, quotation marks, and the ellipsis. Mm-hmm. All right. Number five in geography. This famous Irish landmark was created by a volcanic eruption. Uh, Blarney stone? I was thinking the Blarney stone too, yeah. Because it just, it doesn't really look like a stone. It's just like rock. Yeah, but I mean like a ro- the rock is probably formed by volcanic activity, right? Well, I think he was formed by Samoan. Don't even. Um, but yeah, I think a Blarney stone I'm good with, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, uh, I've seen pictures of people who have been there lately. We're, we're saying Giant's Causeway. Oh, interesting. I didn't know about that. Um I was here for a day, and I, I kissed this. Uh, we said the Blarney Stone. The answer is the Giant's Causeway. Oh, my God. Oh, getting smoked. All right. Uh, good pulls out here. Whew. After five questions, the lens flares, Matt and Doug, are pulling away a little bit. They have 30 points. Neil and Jeff, the Dutch angle, 10 points. All right. All right num- number six uh, in math, 
not my the opposite of my subject. <laughs> um, when 23 people are in a room, what is the percentage probability that two of them have the same birthday? Doug was saying that um, we know that it's a lot higher than you would think. Um, he was thinking that this was the point where we'd be 50-50. And I don't have enough <laughs> knowledge to disagree. So we are going to say that it's 50%. Uh, that sounds really familiar because um, I remember seeing a piece a little while back on, I think, YouTube about uh, the statistical distribution and it's much lower than you'd think. So we guessed this is the breaking point. We said 50%. Known as the birthday paradox, it is 50%. All right. All right, number seven in music. Jumping flea is the English translation of what small and lively instrument from its native language? Jumping flea. I've, I've heard this before in band. I'm trying to think. Thinking of in the percussive family, I was thinking of like it's not maracas or something like that. Like think of a oh, little maracas. Like, maracas. Think of like a little flea jumping around. I mean, like maraca is pretty good. All right. Um, we uh, weren't sure. We were trying to think of it being maybe being like a percussive instrument, um, but we, we couldn't really lock in on anything great. So we said uh, the maracas sound like they are little fleas jumping around. So that's what we put. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not a bad guess either. Uh, initially, I sang all of Spanish flea. Uh, a little <laughs> fun ditty. Um, and then we kind of talked about the tambourine. Uh, we like that answer. We just locked in with tambourine. Sorry, guys. The answer is the ukulele. Oh, wow. From Hawaiian, uh, means jumping flea. You just got rid of a case of the jumping fleas, right, Neil? <laughs> I, I, I did get a, yeah, I had an antibiotic. Had and shave all the hair off your body? I did. Uh, and I went uh, full Michael Phelps, did a lot of cupping. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Long process. All right. Number eight. In PE, what children's party game that doesn't involve balls was an Olympic event from 1900 to 1920. Um, that doesn't involve balls. Like, not Duck, Duck, Goose, right? That couldn't have been an Olympic event. I mean, you could be super competitive at that. Um, competitive Olympic spin the bottle, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I was thinking you of... You had people uh, from that many uh, nations meeting up, you know? I can, I can tell you that... Get a little uh, chemistry going? <laughs> well, I mean, that's basically what the Olympics are, right? It's just a big spin the bottle game in the hotel room. Seven Apparently. minutes in heaven. Yeah. Um, I don't know any other... What Duck, game? Duck, Goose is really good because that would be it, really funny. Um, I mean, there's running involved. Yeah, I remember like playing with those big old stupid parachutes when we were kids too, but that could have just been us. Yeah. Just think of the 1900s though. Those people are like, yeah, we played Duck, Duck, Goose. Well, Duck, Duck, Goose. Fastest runner. Yeah. I mean, it is athletic. Yeah. Let's go with it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so we were thinking things and, and just this, this just popped into my head as something that I think at one point was an Olympic event. Um... And so, can't think of too many parties where I have kid parties where I played it, but we're going to say tug of war. Oh, that's a really good answer. I did not even think of that. You definitely play that in PE. I don't know if you play this in PE. I, I, we might have just played it for fun, but uh, we said it'd be a great Olympic event if it was Duck, Duck, Goose. Mm. <laughs> that would be a great Olympic event, but it was tug of war. Wow. And if answer. they reinstituted tug of war as an Olympic sport, I would watch the out of that yeah <laughs> didn't someone's like leg oh, yeah. get torn off though like in a cut yes. right they're playing tug of war yeah that's why yeah, i would watch I've, it uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right number nine in art so a famous brand of spanish lollipop is called chupa chup what artist designed the chupa chup logo in 1965 um, yeah, so I guess Dali or Picasso, but I, I feel like that seems like something they would go to him like a like a brand person and be like, hey, we Who, want you to do this cool thing. Yeah, I mean, that's like a Warhol type thing, right? Yeah. More like a pop art almost. Yeah. Who would have done something like that? Dali, I think. He was weird enough. I kind of remember him being around in like the the, ten, the teens and 20s, right? I guess he could have been around. I mean, he was he was in the bar that the car took me to when I went to Paris, but he was very young. So he and would when have, did you go to Paris? In about 1923. Okay. Also, Midnight in Paris is not <laughs> historically accurate. It is not historically accurate, no. But I was watching an interview about accents that I love um, on on uh, YouTube, and the guy was saying that the guy, uh, Adrian Brody, who did him, like got a lot of his mannerisms right, but then they showed older interviews of him in like the 50s when he was like 55, 60. Okay. So I'm wondering if he got, you know, he lived yeah, a little longer. We can go with Dolly if you like. Okay. I'm um, just quick... 
quick clarification. Did you say the artist was Spanish or just that the item was Spanish? Um, I said the lollipop is Spanish. I said okay. nothing about the artist. Awesome. So we'll lock in with the other answer. Okay. okay. Sounds good. All right. Um, <laughs> we heard Spanish artists, so we kind of shot ourselves in the foot here. Jeff said Warhol, if that's where it's going, but uh, we went with Dali. It's a very interesting discussion we had because we had a similar one. We were between Picasso and Warhol, and then when we heard that the artist wasn't Spanish, we locked in with Warhol. Um, Doug and Matt, your discussion was killing me because uh, it is Dali. It is Dali. Oh, wow. That, that... Dali did indeed design the famous Chupa Chup logo here in Spain and in fact insisted that whenever um, they were produced, the Chupa Chup logo had to be right on top of the lollipop. <laughs> that meeting yeah, in the it's... 20s worked out, Jeff. All right, number 10, last one this uh, first round. And uh, our final school subject is French. What? Oh, cool. <laughs> what is the least commonly used letter in French? appearing exclusively in words taken from other languages. Yeah, we can, I, I, I've got this one. Okay, uh, awesome. We will lock in with whatever Doug says. <laughs> All right, I'm trying to pull on my, my uh, like eight years French. of French. Yeah, my years of French. How many years did you take? Two. All right, this is going to be sad. Yeah, it's going to be sad. <laughs> um, whatever you think, Neil. I don't know anything about French. We're going to go why. Um, yeah, Y is, is not a terribly common used letter in French. I think I mentioned earlier I, I was a French major. Mm -hmm. My daughter, who lives in Paris, was a French major. My younger daughter, who's a senior in college, is a French major. Uh, so they, hopefully they will be employed at some point. But um, <laughs> I believe, I, I think the, the letter that really doesn't occur naturally at all in French is W. And so you get words like wagon, wagon, or like for a train car or something like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, I think it's W. Uh, I was also a French major. Don't worry. They will get a job. <laughs> yeah. Don't sweat it. The one in Paris has a really good job, so. <laughs> um, and it is indeed W. All right. That makes a lot of sense. All right. At the end of 10 questions, looks like Matt and Doug are kind of hmm. killing it over at the Lens Flares. They have 60 points. Neil and Jeff, uh, admirable effort so far. The Dutch Angles with 30 points. So our, is our score from this first round in, indicative of how well we would do now in uh, grammar school, I guess? School. Yeah. <laughs> I feel cool. like I'd kill it in grade school still. So, <laughs> so you're getting a deep, deep F. A deep, deep F. I mean, I would definitely be better at dodgeball than most of those kids. <laughs> well, I don't remember French and Spanish history in middle school and grade school. So. I was going to say, to be fair, this is Spanish, Spanish <laughs> yeah. grade school, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, as we get ready to go to the swing round, we just wanted to uh, just... We're also getting ready to go somewhere else, right? We are. We are. We're ready to, uh, to go to Vegas. Uh, this isn't Geek Bowl. That was last year, but this is going to be TriviaCon uh, through Sporkle. So if you're familiar with Sporkle, Sporkle.com, they have a lot of great quizzes on there. They also have live events. Yeah. If you've ever tried to write trivia, you've probably stolen questions from them. Right. Or you've been on your computer and there's the timer thing. And instead of just mm -hmm. waiting and trying to answer, you just click give up right away to look at all the answers. <laughs> So, um, but Sporkle invited us to come to TriviaCon to do uh, an event or two. So we were, we're going to be there. So if uh, mm -hmm. if you're not familiar with TriviaCon, it's uh, a first a big event for them. It's going to be a lot of great uh, people there. There's going to be a pro-am tournament. There's going to be uh, lots of individual events. We can go play trivia, win cash. Um, and it's just a sort of a, a weekend celebrating trivia. So we will be there. We're going to have more details uh, weekly as the show progresses on when we'll be there and what day and whatnot. But we're going to be running a full version of our game. There's going to be a mm -hmm. cash prize, a second and third prize. And uh, you get to hang out with us. Uh, we get to hang out with you, meet all the people who are supporting our show. And we're really looking forward to that. So um, definitely go to Sporkle.com and, and look up uh, the, the details of TriviaCon. And Matt, how much money are you setting aside to gamble away this time? Uh, all of it. All right, good. Me too. <laughs> uh, but I will be living there, unfortunately, if uh, if things go awry. Well, luckily, uh, we do have a safety net. Matt won't have to gamble away uh, the wonderful support and uh, pledges of our Patreon members, Jeff, uh, that keep our show afloat. So can you tell people a little bit about Patreon? Yeah, thank God I keep uh, a tight grip on the finances around here. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, so um, yeah, our patrons are the direct support. They're the lifeblood of our show. Um, there's a lot of great perks at patreon.com slash trivialitypodcast. Um, there's a lot of different things uh, at a lot of different tiers. The ones that we're really proud of 
um, our like our bonus episodes. We've got a lot of great uh, giveaways and things like that. Our posters are super cool. Uh, you, character boxes. A couple different designs signed by all of us. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so if you're interested in supporting the show, there's a lot of different ways to do that. You can also rate and review us on your favorite podcast app on iTunes. We also have merchandise through our partner, Inked and Screened. Or uh, just tell your friends. Yeah. Tell your friends. Subscribe on YouTube for any of the video content that we, we can put out. You know. Oh, yeah, please do. Um, I should, I'm remiss that I didn't mention that. So if you haven't seen Bloodsport, if you've listened to it but haven't seen it, please take some time and go out and do that. Um, Neil did all the video editing. Yeah, he put an insane for the amount series. of effort into the graphics. It looks so. awesome. It's really great. And uh, I would love for everybody who has an opportunity and time to check that out to do so, uh, even if you just thumb through to the end and that way we'll get a view and I'll be happy. Um, <laughs> but no, a lot of work went into that series, both in the audio and especially the video. So And the live editing that Ken did as well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, lot of effort, a lot of fun effort, though. We had a great time doing it. So, All right, let's mm-hmm. go on to the swing round. All right, for the swing round, the category is person, place, or thing. Hmm. I'm going to read uh, a thing to you. You have to tell me whether that thing is named after a person, place, or thing, plus a bonus for including what it is named after. Okay, so what's the the bonus going to be? So uh, each one is five, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's say a one-point bonus Mm -hmm. for every correct name derivative okay sounds all right so number one is the cardigan sweater number two is the bungalow style house the single story detached house number three the torpedo number four the color or dye magenta five the fabric denim. Number six is the bowler hat. Number seven is the emery board or nail file. Is emery a person, place, or thing? Number eight is the tuxedo. Number nine is the mason jar. And number 10 is Angus beef or cattle. I have a feeling this is going to be a tough one, but uh, mm-hmm. it's very trivia rich. I think we're going to learn a lot here. Yeah. Yes. All right. So let's uh, take a quick break and we'll mull over the answers. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Well, or call she, the police. Or call the police, like she should have, exactly. <laughs> What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Okay, after a little bit of discussion, uh, everybody's come up with the uh, noun of choice, and uh, we will be moving on to finding out the answers. All right, for number one, what did you guys have? So this was the cardigan, right? This was the cardigan cardigan. first. Yeah, we said this is a place. Did you have a guess for the bonus? I don't Uh, think we guessed on any of it. We said Cardiff. Oh, yeah, sure. Cardiff, Wales. Yeah, that's what we went with, too. We went cardigan from Cardiff. And number one, cardigan sweater is named after a person. Mm. Give me a second. It's James Brudenell, the Earl of Cardigan, who supposedly burnt the tails off his coat in a fireplace. (laughs) Cardigan, however, is not an actual place. It's the anglicized version 
of a Welsh city that I will not even begin to pronounce. Cardiff. No. <laughs> Cardiff is easy. So no points there. No points there. All right. Number All right, two. Number two, the bungalow. We have a lot of uh, bungalows around here, and we and you bungled this round too. We bungled this round, and we just assumed if it was a bungalow style, it would have to have been styled after a bungalow, which sounded like a thing. So we want thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up in a bungalow, as did most of the people in my town, um, and I have no idea where they're from. <laughs> I thought maybe it was a person, maybe it was an architect, and named Mr. Bungalow. Bungalow is named after Bengali, India. Oh. Wow. Oh my gosh! I, I said it sounded Indian at some point. I heard that. That discussion was killing me. Well, so close. <laughs> a little bit right. of knowledge. Yeah, there you go. Three, it's a dangerous thing. The torpedo. Uh, we said thing, I believe. I don't remember why, but we said a thing. Yeah. Well, we hope you're right because we also said thing. Any guesses for what that thing might be? Uh, no. <laughs> the idea itself it is- of torpor. <laughs> It is a thing. Good job. All right. It comes from a genus of electric rays, which comes from the Latin torpere, meaning to be stiff or numb. Doesn't uh, doesn't the Trojan Company give you some wipes for that now? <laughs> <laughs> Only after four hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, number four, magenta. Yeah, this one... Um, was uh we we first thought might be a thing because it it was the working title of uh, the Steven Spielberg film with Whoopi Goldberg but we said no and uh, we thought maybe it was a place maybe they found uh something to make this color with so we said place yeah we weren't sure too much we thought it might have been a person named after some kind of king someone majestic magenta is a place in Italy mm. magenta Italy nice and it for the for the record it was not the working title of color purple just so you guys know (laughs) (laughs) all right number five denim fabric i think this was the only one that i knew for sure uh again french my french major's coming in handy again today uh it's the fabric from denim uh which is a city in france so it's a place uh mean is the city yeah uh we didn't know we thought maybe it was a you know a a competitor to mr levi so we said person uh doug's got it it is de nîmes nîmes france a place that and the bonus all right all right number six the bowler hat um we thought this was named for a place yeah we're too sure i'm more familiar with bowler shoes where those come from but (laughs) It's, uh, we thought it was a person, maybe. We just wrote Mr. Bowles. We don't know. Jimmy? Uh, yeah, where's Jimmy? Is he, is he here? That's my, know. Mr. Bowles is my father's <laughs> name. Call me Jimmy. Call me Jimmy. <laughs> Sorry, Jimmy. It is a person. It is named after Thomas and William Bowler, mm. who designed the hat in 1849. Number seven, an emery board. What is emery? Yeah, we we just thought uh, if it was a nail file named after someone, maybe someone was, you know, scratching their nails instead of biting them, and, and they came up with the idea, so we said it was a person. I, I may have led us astray here, but I, I, I'm thinking that emery is actually the kind of the rough stuff that's on the top of the board, and so emery is like, is, is a thing, and so it's the material, kind of the ground up sharp rocks or whatever that is placed on, on the emery board, so we said thing. The answer and the bonus is a kind of rock, an abrasive rock that can be found mostly in Turkey and Greece. But as we all know, the rock is never abrasive. Right. <laughs> He's the pacifist. That's right. Or was that Vin Diesel? It was Vin Diesel. <laughs> it's oh. pacifist. University of right? That's right. All right, number eight, the tuxedo. Um, we couldn't uh, figure this one out. We guessed it was a thing. Yeah, initially I was thinking that uh, of that Jackie Chan movie that didn't lead me anywhere. <laughs> Uh, and we just thought maybe it was a place, so we said a place. It is named after Tuxedo Park in New York State. Wow. Is, a place. is it really? Yeah. I mean, that's like the one place I know that's called Tuxedo, but I figured that they were both named after something else. <laughs> Number nine, the Mason Jar. So um, we have a, a whole lot of love over here, not a lot of logic, um, and I just thought 
the Mason Dixon line, I think they ran moonshine and illegal alcohol. And I was like, what does alcohol go into in all the movies when they run illegal alcohol? It goes into a Mason jar. So we said place. Mm -hmm. And we had the exact same answer, basically. No points for this round. Mason was a person, John Mm. Mason, who did not design them for Pinterest weddings, (laughs) (laughs) but to store food. Patented in 1858, he died... Uh, in poverty in a tenement house in 1902. Number 10, uh, Angus, beef, cattle. Uh, we figured this was Angus himself. We said a person. Um, we had pretty much the same answer. Angus is from Scotland. Angus, Scotland. Mm. Okay, following the swing round, it looks like uh, the lens flares, Matt and Doug, gained 27 points. Um, they're at 87. Uh, Neil and Jeff, the Dutch angle. Gained uh, only 10 points there, so they're at 40. Hmm. Great scores. <laughs> <laughs> All right, round two. Number one in round two is politically correct. Three Crayola color names have been renamed due to controversy and or campaigning. Name two of them. All right, so Jeff and I uh, were going back and forth. We were pretty sure that uh, one of the colors was skin possibly because there are many shades of skin color and they only had one, which was I think peach or of some sort, Jeff. Um, so that totally makes sense why they would want to change that. Uh, we're having trouble on the other ones though. Um, we just don't really know where that could go. Anything Jeff, or we're probably just gonna have to tap and just say skin. I don't remember. I don't either. Uh, all right. Well, we're just gonna, we're just gonna go in with skin and go all in on skin like Buffalo Bill. <laughs> Skin, skin, and all in skin. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um. So we, um, initially locked in really quickly with flesh. We're pretty sure flesh is the answer, and that's the the skin tone one that used to be that Caucasian white tone. I think the other one was something um that became more offensive and becomes more offensive as time goes on. And I think um it's Indian red. So that's what we said for our second one. The three colors that were changed were flesh, Indian red, and Prussian blue. Prussian blue. Hey, very nice, man. That was a really good pull. Good pull. I know my crayons, apparently. (laughs) Flesh became peach, Indian red became chestnut, and I think Prussian blue became cerulean. What's um, What's the problem with Prussian blue? Just out of curiosity, if you know. Oh, um, a school teacher, I believe, wrote in and was like, kids have no idea what Prussia is. <laughs> it's all that it takes. Hmm. And so yeah. instead of teaching them yeah, a thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of learning like, This doesn't something. mean anything to us anymore. Dear Crayola. All right. Number two. Category, watch out for those teeth. This mammal has the most powerful bite relative to body size with exerting a for- force. Of 553 newtons. At the beginning of the question, I was convinced the hippopotamus has the, the strongest bite. I was thinking about that. And then she said per body size, which I'm not too sure of. The jaguar, my favorite animal. <laughs> <laughs> How did I know that was going to come has back? The, has the strongest and uh, and uh, hardest bite. In uh, the cat family? In the cat family. Um, per, per square inch or whatever, per pounds per inch. Um it's now funny. I'm now it's I'm a grown man. He Look. brings up his favorite animal. Look, <laughs> those are the exact two animals I was thinking of. Sadly, <laughs> should we just go jaguar? Because I, I mean, it's not the hippo then, right? Because the hippo is so big. I think the hippo. I mean, it can really bite. Right? No, I mean the hippo is number one for sure. But she she added the caveat that it was per body size, so it's probably something really tiny. Yeah, it could be like a it could be like a mouse or something. For all what about know. like a Tasmanian devil or a? Oh, those are good biters. Because it's small, right? They are marsupials, though, right? Oh, yeah, they're are not those mammals? mammals. No. <laughs> you guys. All right, guys, what do you have? Uh, what do we have? Yeah. Uh, we have a list- large collection of animals. Yeah, we've, we're visiting the zoo, apparently, and walking around. You spared uh, no expense. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you like uh, one of those rodents we were talking about? Or? Yeah, I like, you know what? I like possums. Everyone else hates them, but you know, I think they're fine. We're going to go with possum. All right. All right. Uh, well, uh, initially, when Gabby's reading the question, we both looked at each other and said hippo, because I believe they have the strongest bites uh, of any animal. Mm-hmm. 
but then she said per bo- uh, per body weight or body size. So then we we freaked out a little bit, and we couldn't really come up with anything. We thought maybe it was something small, like a like a, a, a Tasmanian devil or a rat of some sort, but. We didn't know, so we just decided to go with my favorite animal, the strongest of the cat family, went with Jaguar. <laughs> Jaguar. Jaguar. Oh, my heart. It's breaking. It was the Tasmanian devil. Oh, wow. come on. Jeff, oh, Jeff, Jeff corrected me, and he mansplained me when I, I said... didn't mansplain you. I said Tas- trivia podcast. <laughs> I said Tasmanian devil, and he goes, that's a marsupial, that's not a mammal. And I said, okay. All right, that's Jeff. You can be both a marsupial and a mammal. Guys. That's probably true. It is true. <laughs> In fact, all marsupials are mammals. I know. Look, we're... At, look at Ken mansplaining marsupials to Neil <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, you're right that it was smaller rather than larger, but that was about yeah. we never even considered that. I must have heard that <laughs> once. That's why I brought it up. I, I'll never forget it now. All right. Number three, category first jobs. What famous chef worked for the CIA in 1943, mastering the art of inventing shark repellent? Do you have any idea? She this? worked for the CIA. A lot of people don't. Well, she was like, well, she was like a spy. She was, but wasn't she British? I think so, but I think she worked for Americans. I can't remember if she was a spy okay. or. I don't have anything better. My joke answer was Chef Boyardee. So, oh, is that was he real? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, that's not his last name. If I was, were a shark, I'd stay away from those raviolis. It was like uh, Paul Boyardo or something like that. Oh, that's right. He's that's a real right. person. Um, I just don't know if, if it was with the CIA. I just know she was uh, involved in the I like deep the state. better than mine. Okay. Yeah. So, so are you thinking the clue, the shark, the, the shark repellent was a clue to something like that? Usually, so, which, yeah. Well, I know that Julia Child did marry. Her husband was in the foreign service. Okay. Uh, was was in the foreign service and that's how she got to paris and began taking uh but she didn't marry batman that's she not did him. not marry the batman no okay so that but i i still like julia child we can we can lock in with that uh yeah so i same thinking as doug um i remember julia child had some affiliation with the um the service and i just figured you know maybe that was early on in her career and she helped develop shark repellent so we went julia child it is indeed julia child I actually do a pretty good Julia Child imitation. Actually, I do a pretty good Dan Aykroyd imitating Julia Child imitation. <laughs> well, now we got to hear it. Do, yeah, you can't do nothing without a sharp knife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's delicious! I love Take the turkey down right to the Pope's nose, and whoops! I cut the dickens out of my finger. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I want. I want to say too that while he was doing that impression, he's so backlit right now. He looks like he's in witness protection. <laughs> he's doing an interview. <laughs> Julia Child is still alive, but she's in witness protection. Yeah. All right, number four. Category is denonyms. Blessing is the group name for what mythical creature? We're locked in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this one is a unicorn. We are locked in. Yep, we said uh, the national animal of Scotland, the unicorn. It is indeed the unicorn. Wow, that was lightning fast from both teams. I didn't even have a yeah. chance to write the question down. all right number five in i heart the 90s in the 1990s one song from an animated disney film soared to number one on the hot 100 chart what was it uh one song from a 1990s she said disney or just animated disney okay i was gonna say i believe i can fly but that was uh that wasn't disney i don't think it was warner brothers um 19 disney film animated um so it's not the Whitney Houston Mariah Carey one that was DreamWorks. No, you've also got um, so you can cut off Little Mermaid. So you're looking at something probably in oh, the. Oh, it's probably. Um, I don't think it's any of the Pocahontas ones, right? No, it's probably. Um, Aladdin. What's the one from Aladdin? Uh, um, Whole New World. No. No, I was thinking. What about Circle of Life? Elton John. That's a good one. Oh yeah, as the eagle soar. Right, is that a lyric? Wait, wait. Uh, circle of <laughs> You're asking way too much for me. Um, that, I mean, that's from Lion King, right? That was like... Yeah. So so you've got like what? Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Anything from that? Well, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Um, Lion King is in that group. Okay. They're locked in. These guys right. are killing me in here. All right. So the sore is what's the clue, I'm sure. Um, so we, we ruled out I Believe I Can Fly, and uh, which is in Disney. Um, and we're going through the Disney movies right now. I'm like in circle of life because that was a big hit for Elton John Lion King sword sword. What flies Neil birds. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just think there's a lyric in the circle of life about soaring. What but... was fly like an Eagle in? There was a remake of the Steve Miller song. I that was know. that was space. Was that space? That's also space yeah. jam. What? Man, space jam is killing us today. Um, I know I'm gonna. Yeah, These guys gonna... aren't just shooting themselves in the foot. They're like blasting it off with a shotgun. Yep. I know. <laughs> Let's just go circle of life. I know it's wrong. It's even worse if you heard what I heard in in the studio. Yeah. You literally are you guys locked in? Then? They said it. We're locked They're in. Locked in. They said it. You literally said every every Disney movie except Aladdin. And I believe it's that a whole is, new world. They said it. It is indeed a whole new world. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I had no idea. I they're think... flying on the magic carpet, guys. <laughs> they're, they're soaring. Well, no, it made, it made <laughs> sense. Fact. It made sense. But we were lyrics. like, why would... I, I didn't realize a whole new world would have gone to number one, though, out of all those songs. It did for one week. Oh, okay. Uh, that makes Circle sense. of Life did hit the top 100 charts, but I think the highest it made it was like number five. Hmm. <laughs> oh, that was hard. Yeah. <laughs> Rough one, you guys. <laughs> Rough one. All right, number six in the category Kids Are Dumb. In early drafts of Back to the Future, writers wanted what common household item to be the time machine? It was changed for fear that kids would climb inside theirs and suffocate. Refrigerator. Right? Yeah. Has a seal on it. Mm-hmm. You could literally suffocate in a refrigerator if you wanted to. Right. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's fine. You can survive a nuclear blast. No. So. Any other thoughts? No. What, what the hell else could a kid climb in where they like that's sealed? Uh, right. A, yeah. Either that or like a dumb waiter thing. But I was. Who has a dumb waiter? I don't know. <laughs> Cinematically, though, a refrigerator makes the most sense because it's a box just like the phone booth and everything. So. All right. I, I do like the notion that the, the dryer kind of spins around, though. But do you yeah. like do you like refrigerator? I do, yeah. Just because they got the air seals on the outside. That would make more sense to me. All right. So we can be locked in. Okay. So they're just going to talk about uh, how it was originally supposed to be Eric Stoltz. As Marty <laughs> <Flash> <laughs> it's because that's the only thing we have today is color commentary <laughs> and not right answers. Um, but strangely, we agree with you and we guessed refrigerator. Yeah, I originally was thinking dryer, but then I uh, Doug mentioned fridges, and then I remember they have those seals, so we said refrigerator. Points all the way around. It is a refrigerator. All right, number seven. What was the first animated movie to be nominated for Best Picture in 1991? We're locked in. Mm-hmm. Um, they're locked in. I'm pretty sure this is Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Does that sound right? Uh, it sounds absolutely right. I, that's okay. definitely what I've got on that as well. All right. So Beauty and the Beast. Tis, tis Beauty that killed the Beast. We said Beauty and the Beast. Tale as old as time. Song as old as rhyme. It is Beauty and the Beast. Well, you're not going to get us on these Disney questions. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Number eight category, Fantastic Beasts and what they're called. Mm-hmm. So in the Iliad, this beast is described as... Lion fronted and snake behind, goat in the middle and snorting out the breath of the terrible flame of bright fire. We now use this term when one being has two sets of DNA, like when a fetus absorbs its twin in the womb. Yeah, I think we both agreed. We, uh, I think uh, I got it from the first part and I got it from the second part and we're saying chimera. Yeah, uh, we agree. We think this is the chimera. Uh, I learned this from watching an episode of CSI. It is the Chimera. MI2, Jeff. Defeated by Bellerophon. Thank you. And a lovely mm. scene in uh, Full Metal Alchemist, too, yeah. involving a girl and her beloved dog. Oh, no. <laughs> what a cliffhanger you left us on. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> and if you don't, it ends poorly. Yeah. All right, number nine. Category is rom-com jobs. So, Jennifer Garner in 13 Going on 30, Justin Timberlake in Friends with Benefits, and Kate Hudson in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days all have what job? We're locked in. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> yeah, finally they, finally they got yeah. there. there. <laughs> um, I think that they were, they were editors at, a, at, I think, a fashion magazine. Um, I have vague memories of 13 going on 30, and that's the only movie that I've seen out of those. Yeah. Um, 
but if you if you're good with that then yeah i'm, I'm good with that i've not seen these movies my okay. uh, again my older daughter would would have this now but okay. i don't okay so yeah fashion magazine editor you just want to be sure it's that specific or you just want to say magazine we'll say editor. magazine yeah. editor there you go all right yeah we weren't sure how specific you wanted to be um yes we said uh magazine editor for that and it is a magazine editor, all three of them. <laughs> Pretty common trope in rom-coms. Yeah. And last one of round two category, we're going back to literature. Mark Twain was the first author to write a book entirely by typewriter. What is the title of his memoir, this memoir, published in 1883? I, I have no idea. I he said that one quote like uh, I, I don't know if that was the title of his memoir about people being stupid and oh, I mean he also said he was gonna uh, he came in with Haley's Comet he was gonna go out with it so which is true he did die the year Haley's Comet returned I don't know properly yeah. Halley's Comet but memoir why don't we just say Twain um, or my my life in with words or something I don't know something like cliche nothing based on like uh, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer or. A Yankee, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, or we can do that. A Connecticut Yankee, yeah, maybe just a Connecticut Yankee. I'm trying I to think no of any other Twain books. The fact that I got three is enough. We're not, I, yeah, we're never going to get it though. Yeah, so I mean, the only thing of Twain that I could think of that fit this uh, was going to be, uh, I mean, this like takes the takes place right where Tuck Finn and and all that's did, but I think it was called Life on the mississippi mm. yep and uh we were trying to pull some of his uh his writings into our answer and we didn't think of that one but that sounds correct uh we just said it was called a connecticut yankee uh doug with the pull it is life on the mississippi wow okay that second round was actually pretty lucrative for both teams um lens flares charging ahead to 177 and uh the dutch angle 100 so it's within reach all right, so for the final round, um, all of the answers are going to be European capitals. I will give you the categories, but uh, I don't want the country. I want the name of the capital. All right, so number one, the category is geography. Number two, the category is transportation. Number three, the category is fast food. Number four, the category is religion. And number five, the category is world history. Okay, all the wagers are in, so let's get the questions. All right, number one in geography. Which European capital is the farthest north? Number two in transportation. Which European capital was the first to get a subway system on the continent? Number three in fast food. Which European capital is home to a white McDonald's arch because yellow would clash with the aesthetic of the famous street it's on? Number four in religion. What European capital is the birthplace of Mother Teresa? And number five in world history. Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated in what capital city launching the events that would lead to World War One. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. Okay, all the answers are locked in, so let's hear the questions one more time, see how we did. All right, so number one in geography, what European capital is the farthest north? Well, we talked about the Scandinavian countries, but I may have led us astray here, but I had a sneaky suspicion that Moscow was further north than, than all of those. So we went with mm-hmm. Moscow. And we wagered 10 all the way down. We did. I'll let Jeff take it, but we wagered 20 all the way down. Yeah, this one I think is the only one I've been to. Um, and it's 64 degrees north, so I couldn't imagine anything much further north than that. And we said Reykjavik, Iceland. Ah. Is farther the farthest north, even of all the Scandinavian countries, is Reykjavik. Uh, mm. I didn't think about Iceland. <laughs> nice. Super far north. All right. Number two in transportation. Which capital was the first to get a subway system on the European continent? All right. Uh, we'll go first, I guess. Um, I immediately said London because I believe it was the first uh, out of that. But Jeff said that the question stated continent, uh, which would rule that out. And uh, we thought second to that would probably probably be the metro in uh, Paris. So we went Paris. Uh, we thought of Paris, but we were going to use that for a different answer later. Um, so we settled on Madrid. Uh, both Paris and Madrid were up there in the top 10. But surprisingly, the second one to ever have a metro is uh, Budapest. Mm-hmm. Wow. Budapest. Mm-hmm. Agree. All right. Number three in fast food. Which European capital is home to uh, a white McDonald's arch? Because yellow would clash with the aesthetic of the famous street it's on. Well, this is the one we wanted to save Paris for. I mean, there's famously a, a McDonald's on the Champs-Élysées there. So that's why we didn't say Paris for the last one. And we went with Paris here. Um, yeah, Neil and I had talked about Paris. He said he'd been there for one night. And then I tried to shut him up pretty quick. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we wagered 20 on this one, and we were trying to think of um, places that it might clash with, and, and we thought maybe it was uh, right in the heart of London near Buckingham, so we said uh, we said London. Uh, it is, in fact, on the Champs-Élysées. It is Paris. Hmm. It's one of two white McDonald's arches in the world, the other one being in Bruges, Belgium. Uh, in Bruges. All right, number four, religion. This capital city is the birthplace of Mother Teresa. Matt, you, you pulled this. Why don't you take this one? Yeah, so uh, Doug said that he was pretty sure that she was born in Albania. Um, I've been playing a lot of Sporkle, learning a lot of capitals, and I happen to remember that that was Tirana. Wow, that's great. That's a really good pull. Uh, yeah, we, we weren't too sure. We kind of went through different countries we thought she could be from, and we sort of landed on Greece, and we our, our only logic to uh, sell that answer was that uh, she always wore white and blue, which are the colors of the Greece, uh, Greek flag. So we said Athens. Mother Teresa was born in Albania. However, country lines have changed. She was born in Skopje, which is now the capital of North Macedonia. Oh, man. Where you can go visit her house. That's brutal. Sorry, Matt. Hey, I still knew a thing, so I'm going to count that as a win for me. (laughs) I was sure you were right, man. I was sure sure we had that one. Nice, Mm. tough question. And the last one in world history. Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated in what capital city? leading to or launching the events that would lead to World War I. Um, so we wagered 20 on this one. Um, I'm pretty sure I knew this well before Ken and I listened to about 12 hours of Dan Carlin's hardcore history on World War I, uh, but we said Sarajevo. Yeah, uh, as, uh, as did we, currently the capital of Bosnia and Herzegovina, or I can never say it right, but so Sarajevo is our answer. 
It is Sarajevo, the capital of Bosnia-Herzegovina. Okay. At the end of the game, looks like uh, both teams took a small hit. Uh, the Dutch angle is minus 20 on the final round to bring their final score to 80. Um, losing 10 on the final round is J.J. Abrams' lens flares, but they hang on and clutch 167 points to be today's cream of the crop. I am the queen. Nice job, guys. All right. Good job. Well done. Thanks. Nice job, Matt. That was a, a really... A real team effort. There were some things I yeah. had no clue on than that uh, Matt Bowen. I'm just riding this this L.A. power out here. I'm undefeated yeah. since I've left <laughs> Chicago. Don't trust the L.A. power. It's all the sunlight I'm getting out It goes out, out all out the time. <laughs> uh, well, big, big round of applause to Gabby. What a great written game, Gabby. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks, yeah, guys. Too. That was fun. All right, and thanks again to uh, Doug for uh, coming to us and uh, being Matt's teammate. Uh, any final uh, parting words? Uh, no, thanks again, and if not before, I'll see y'all in, in Chicago uh, for, yeah. for Geek Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Looking forward to that. All right, well, that will conclude today's episode. We want to thank Gabby and Doug again for Matt, Neil, Jeff, and myself. Ken, that was Triviality. Now, we'd have to record an episode, all four of us, on a bidet while we're recording <laughs> <laughs> sorry it's out of context yeah sorry we got a little nuts over here we we're saying it'd be yeah anyway long story short we we're saying we should call a company that makes bidets to try to sponsor us but i was just saying we'd have to be on a bidet at all times while recording mm. <laughs> mm. it's just hitting us for a full hour yeah right oh it's break time guys <laughs> yep that'd be a all right that sounds like a bonus episode <laughs>